This is Psalms to God, Season 2, Episode 28, You Are What You Eat. You can find the show notes for this episode at www.psalmstogod.com. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, New King James Version. Psalms to God podcast. This is your host, Re, and today's episode is on what we eat and how it affects us, both mentally, spiritually, physically, all of the above. I am a firm believer that everything you consume, not just related to food, but everything that you consume has an effect on you, whether it's your mental state, your emotional state, um, your health. All of these things work together and, and they either have a negative outcome or a positive outcome. And the Bible tells us that our body is a temple. When Christ said that he was going to tear down the temple and raise up another one in three days, he meant the body, right? So we are now that most holy space or, well, that might be exaggerating a little, but We are a vessel that the Holy Spirit can dwell in, which means that we are supposed to treat our our body the way they treated the temple, which is with reverence. And a lot of the things that people ascribe to these buildings that we call churches, um, that is how you should be treating your own body. So I wanted to talk today about food and diet and what we consume because the Bible actually has a lot to say about it and we don't talk about it often um, especially if you grow up in I guess what they would call a mainstream church Um, one of these churches that spawned from the Catholic Church a a Protestant church or a Catholic church that is kind of following this man-made tradition of Christianity that we've been kind of pulling apart layers of all season and so it only felt right to include this episode in this season and I've shared some things and some testimonies about my own journey with what I eat and how I think about what I eat and so I wanted to take today's episode to go deeper into that to go deeper in the whys um, and also to share a little bit about how my life has changed since I changed how I eat. So first, I want to say that you should get a Bible handy because we're going to go through a lot of Bible verses. Um, um, But of course, as always, I will have them in the show notes for you to go back to if you don't get a chance to um, catch them as I'm mentioning them or if you can't, you're you're not in a position to read them as we talk. But I definitely encourage you to go back and read them because it's always important to double check what people say to you. That is key. So the first part of this episode, I want to talk about my experiences with diet and health 
and then we'll jump into those Bible verses. So that's giving you a little bit of time to, to find your Bible or to get to a place where you can sit down and read your Bible. The first thing I want to say is that the itis is real. If you know what the itis is, that needs no more explanation. But for those of you who don't, um, it is like a colloquial term um, referencing the feeling that you get after you eat like really heavy food and you just feel like very sluggish and lethargic. Um, for me, it usually happens if you eat like fried food or what I would call like heavy things. I don't even know, like, um, you know, just greasy things or basically things that are probably trying to kill your body because it, it comes from, I think, your body trying to process the food and trying to work through it. And there was a time where I was experiencing the itis like every day or every other day. I was eating Bojangles. Y'all, I still love Bojangles' biscuits. Um, but I, I was eating Bojangles almost every other day. I was eating takeout Chinese food with tons and tons of soy sauce. Um, I was eating you know, French fries for lunch and, you know, just going through like a, like Chick-fil-A or a Wendy's, which, um, the only thing I can eat at Wendy's is their fries. Um, and it, I don't know, like my diet was just not a good diet. It was a typical South Carolina diet. And I was just tired all the time. Like I would go and I would eat lunch and I would need like two hours after lunch to recover from eating lunch. And it was it was bad. Um, and even though it wasn't making me fat, like I could just, I mean, like, you know, you're not running at your optimal performance because I'm always tired. Like every time I eat, I'm tired. And by the time I'm not tired anymore, I'm hungry again. So I eat again and now I'm tired again. And it was just kind of like this cycle. And... I didn't really, I can't honestly say that I stopped and was like, okay, this is what the Bible says about what you eat, or this is what professional athletes do for their diet, so now I'm going to do that too, or anything like that. I just ended up with this one experience that changed my life. Me and my parents decided to have a fried dinner. I don't know what possessed us to do this, but we made dinner. We had fried chicken, fried okra fried tomatoes, and I think rice. Like, that was dinner. It was so much fried food. I had maybe like half of my plate, and then I ended up throwing up. Like, I just, it made me so sick and so nauseous. And I did not touch fried anything for a good two years after that. Even my parents, like, my dad loves fried chicken. He didn't have fried chicken for like I want to think like four or five months after that. We were just like, that was insane. And I think that was the beginning of, that was probably the beginning of my vegetarianism, actually. This was about four months, four or five months um, before I moved to Florida. And then it was shortly after I moved to Florida that I ended up becoming vegetarian. So it kind of all blended together. Um, but... Looking back, I was able to identify every time my diet changed. So I've had two major diet changes in my life. The first was when I stopped eating unclean meat, which we're going to go into in depth when, when I start talking about these Bible verses. 
Um, and the second one was when I went vegetarian, which has nothing to do with um, religion. Well, eh, we'll talk about some of that as we go through the Bible verses too. But I don't think there's anything wrong with eating clean meat. We'll put it like that. Um, but those were the two major things that happened in my life. And looking back on it, um, I realized that after I stopped eating unclean meat, there was just a different type of clarity and focus that was operating in my life. Like if you've ever seen the Claritin Clear commercials where like they show you this image and there's nothing wrong with the image. It looks perfectly fine. And then they, they pull back like this film and it's like bright and colorful and they're like, it's Claritin Clear or whatever. And you're like, oh wow, I didn't even realize there was something wrong beforehand. That was how my trans um, my transformation was when I stopped eating unclean meat. It was just like things just suddenly became clear. This is pretty much where my relationship with Christ kind of like jump started. Like I feel like it was stagnant and then all of a sudden it just like took off. And when I ended up switching to vegetarianism, that's when I saw more, I guess like health benefits where um, my skin started to improve. I have had bouts with eczema. Um, and so I would get this like rash on my skin where it would like itch really bad. I haven't had that since I got, since I stopped eating meat. Um, I've actually had less menstrual pain since I stopped eating meat. I have more energy. My temper has improved. Um, I don't know. There used to be a saying that you shouldn't feed um, the dog red meat because it would make the dog mean. Makes me wonder if the meat was making me mean too. Um, but you know, these are just things that like looking back, I was like, oh wow, like, yeah. Um, it makes sense that these foods have an impact on how you behave because the same thing is true with drugs, right? If you consume heavy drugs like heroin or meth, or if you consume alcohol, um, even caffeine, medication, these things affect your body. They affect your health. They affect how you think. They affect how you, um, you know, your, your dexterity, all of these things. So why would we not think that a Snickers bar and sugar wouldn't do the same thing or vegetables or even a piece of chicken? All of these things affect how we perform. I want you to remember that as we start going through these Bible verses. So we're going to start at the beginning. We're going to work our way through. I don't know how deep, I don't think we can go like super deep into them because we'll be here for like hours and hours. And as much as I could probably talk for hours and hours, I don't think you want to hear me for hours and hours. So right now I will put in the plug that I have a series on my blog with the same name, You Are What You Eat, and it goes through each of these verses. It's not 100% complete. I'm still um, adding, I think I think I have one more verse to go through, but um, it's all up there. So if you wanna go more in depth, I will link those verses or those posts in the transcript. And you know I will list these verses for your own edification in the transcript and in the show notes on the blog so that you can um, follow along and get more details on the things we don't have time to cover. But I just wanna briefly touch on these things and kind of walk you through what I ended up discovering as I was asking myself, why do we eat unclean meat? Um, like I said, 
I don't think there's anything wrong with eating meat in general. The reason I became vegetarian is, is more personal than, than spiritual, but there are things that advocate for vegetarianism or even veganism within the Bible as well. Um, and so I'm gonna point some of those out, but don't think that I'm telling you that you should not eat meat because you should, I mean, if you can eat meat. God doesn't say not, not to eat meat in general. But if you start in the beginning, all the way back in Genesis, Genesis 1 verse 29, God has just created the earth Everything is good. Everything is perfect. Adam and Eve are in the garden. They have not fallen from grace yet. It is a perfect world. And the first thing God tells them is what they can eat. He tells them that they can eat all seed-bearing vegetation and fruits and, and the, you know, the, the herbs and the fruits and the seeds that come from these things. So this is your basic vegan diet that he gives them. Um, anything that bears seed, any of these vegetables or fruits, the fruit is the seed, um, he gives them permission to eat this. And if you fast forward a little bit into Genesis 2, verses 16 and 17, we're still in the garden, um, we're still before the fall, everything is still perfect. And this is where God gives Adam and Eve the first command. The first commandment ever given to mankind is about what we eat, what we consume. And God tells them that they can eat any of the trees, eat from any of the trees, eat from any of the plants, um, seed bearing that is, in the garden, except the tree of knowledge of good and evil. They can eat anything except that. That is the one rule God gave them. And he said that if they ate that, they would die. And when he said that they would die, I mean, you do have this kind of overarching um, theme when he says they would die in that day. And there is a verse in the Bible that talks about a, a day with God is like a thousand years and a thousand years like a day. And neither, no no man ever made it to a thousand, right? The oldest living people before Noah, some of them made it to, to 900 and something. Um, Adam and Eve both lived to 900 and something, but they didn't make it to a thousand. So from God's perspective, they did die in that day. But, you know, for the most part, we're like, they didn't just keel over and die right then. Um, but it did make it so that they were not immortal. But it also um, brought about this spiritual death. So them eating this food caused a spiritual death within them. Now, whether it was the fruit itself or whether it was their decision to eat the fruit, we don't have time to really dive all the way into that. But know that eating something caused both physical and spiritual death in mankind. That is how we got where we are today. And I think it's important to remember that that's where we started. And of course, like I said, that original diet was a vegan diet. And that's why I said that I do think that the Bible um, advocates for um, that type of a diet. And there are studies that show those to be healthier diets, but it God makes provisions, right? We do live in a fallen world and you may not necessarily be able 
to sustain on that type of a diet. Every person has a different situation. You have a different makeup. Some people may need um, you know, some sort of meat in their diet or they may not have access to the same amount of fruits and vegetables. So they need the meat for protein and things like that. And so we see this kind of introduced in Genesis 9. So this is right after the flood. Noah has, you know, brought all the animals on the ark. And this is the first time that God says, okay, you can eat animals. And you have to remember that at this time, the world is destroyed, right? He has flooded the earth. Some of the vegetation is probably destroyed. Some of it is probably contaminated because there have been dead animal carcasses and dead human carcasses all over the world. Um, And so God grants Noah permission to eat flesh. Now, one of the things people often miss when reading um, about Noah and the flood is that when God instructs Noah to take animals on the ark, it is not two by two. Okay, we were all taught this fable of two by two. But God, uh, God instructs Noah to take a specific number of clean animals and a specific number of unclean animals. And There is this concept of pairs, but he says to take the clean animals by sevens and the unclean animals by two or twos. And I think I think this is in pairs. So he would have taken 14 of the clean animals and four of the unclean animals. And when you read that Noah is permitted to eat flesh, a lot of people take it as, oh, he could eat any flesh. But if Noah had been indulging in any and every flesh, then the unclean animals would have gone extinct because he didn't bring an abundance of them. He brought an abundance of the clean animals. And it's the clean animals that he sacrifices right after the flood when they touch um, dry land for the first time and all of this. And of course, that's what he ate. I think there's this disconnect between us in today's world because we don't commit sacrifices and the the times of biblical um you know the the bible because they did commit sacrifices and um i like to just think of a sacrifice as a barbecue to be honest but that's what they did you know they killed the animal they drained the blood they put it on the fire which would be like a grill they cooked it and then they ate it that's what a sacrifice was so they sac- they only sacrificed clean meat to God. So they were only eating clean meat. Even as far back as Noah, they weren't eating unclean meat. And it's important in differentiating this concept of who God intended that law for. Whether it was for all of mankind or whether it was for a subset of mankind. Because even Noah was aware of the distinction between clean and unclean all the way back there. That was before the Israelites. So then when we get to Leviticus 11, this is when um, Moses is writing down the laws. He's writing down everything that God has told him on Mount Sinai to give to the Israelites. This is when people typically call the introduction of the dietary law, but really this is just when it's defined and spelled out for those of us who are reading along. And so here God defines what is clean and what is unclean. Now, what is interesting about this passage is that if this was truly the introduction, if this was the first time that Moses was hearing this, this was the first time the Israelites were hearing it, then 
there would be a big question about one, why, how Noah knew what a clean and unclean animal was. And back when Jacob and Abraham um, and all of these other people were making sacrifices to God, were they sacrificing unclean animals? Why would God accept unclean animals in those sacrifices, but now not accept them? You know, Malachi tells us that, you know, God does not change. So there's that aspect. And then even as you step out of Judaism and Christianity, you have the third Abrahamic religion of Islam. Islam also abstains from unclean meat, though their definition is slightly different. Um, And of course, Islam comes through the seed of Ishmael, who was Abraham's illegitimate son. Um, It is thought that Muhammad descended from Ishmael. Um, Regardless, the, the Arab nations did descend from Ishmael, and that is where Islam began. And they also abstained from unclean meat. So if if Moses was the first person to hear this, it's like, how did they know that? How did they end up doing that? Why did they end up doing that? There's just all these questions, right? And then when I got to Isaiah chapter 66, you should actually read a little in 65 too to get the context. You get a picture of the end times where God is condemning people who are eating swine, right? So it it, it seems that at the end, God also still recognizes the swine as unclean and is saying that they shouldn't be eating this swine. So getting through all of these verses in the Old Testament, you know, I stopped and I was like, but why do most Christians eat unclean meat? Why had I been eating unclean meat for 21, 22 years and never stopped to think about it? And I had to ask myself, what gives us permission to eat unclean meat? And most people would come to me and tell me that it was in the New Testament, that Jesus did away with it, and all this stuff. And they started giving me the following verses. And so I wanted to go over these verses to talk about why the Bible does not give us permission to eat these unclean meats. So the first thing that people usually bring up is Mark chapter 7. This is the time that Jesus says, you know, it's not what comes um, in us that defiles us, but what goes out, right? It's, um, but if you read the entire passage, if you get the entire context, that passage is about man-made traditions. It is about the Pharisees are, are hassling Jesus's disciples because they have not washed their hands before consuming bread. There is no unclean meat mentioned in this. He is saying that The dirt is not going to defile them. And he's talking about what festers inside. Like they're worried about the wrong things. Um, He's not necessarily saying go out and eat unclean meat. He's just saying that you're worried about your man-made laws instead of worried about what's going on inside your heart. And I'm 100% convinced that this had nothing to do with unclean meat because in Acts 10, Peter, who was with Jesus when he told the Pharisees this information, freaks out when he has a dream where God tells him to kill and eat unclean beasts. And Peter is like, I have never done such a thing. I will not do this. I have never. What what is happening? You know, Peter freaks out. So we know that 
the disciples did not get that interpretation from what happened in Mark 7. Okay. Now, of course, that leads us to Acts 10 because that's the next verse people give. A lot of people read that and they're like, yeah, see, God told Peter that he could eat unclean meat. Dreams are not literal. If you find a dream in the text that is literal, please leave me a message about that dream and where to find it. When you go, when you see Joseph's dreams, when you see the dreams in Daniel, when you look at the visions that were given to um, Ezekiel, the visions that were given to John in Revelation, none of these dreams are literal, okay? And one of the most telling things is that when you look at Daniel, particularly Daniel chapter 7, you will see God start talking about beasts. And these same beasts are mentioned in Revelation. And they represent nations, okay? Nations, not the animal itself, the nation. And that makes sense when you go back to Acts 10 because Peter actually tells us what the dream means in Acts 10 and then he reiterates it in Acts 11. The, the dream was about accepting Gentiles unclean nations, AKA unclean beasts into the fold. They previously did not associate with the Gentiles. And right before Peter has this dream, God sends Cornelius, a Gentile to Peter. And he is preparing Peter to receive this Gentile. And he's sending him this dream saying, you may associate with the Gentiles. It's not about eating unclean meat. It's about associating with a different group of people than they normally associated with. So that takes us into Romans 14. Now Romans 14 is one of those verses that, you know, especially if you really want to hold on to it. One thing about conviction is some of us are actually seeking an answer. We're actually curious and we're, we're ready to surrender to God. Some of us are looking for confirmation of our own beliefs. Like we don't want to change. We're looking for a confirmation. Romans 14 is one of those verses um, that when you first read it, you're like, yep, that's, that's the verse that told me I could eat whatever I wanted to eat. Um, it talks about the weak and the strong Christian. And in it, it's it's saying that, you know, the, the weak Christian eats only vegetables and the strong Christian eats, you know, eats the meat. And it, you know, it says not to judge and, and it talks about not being a stumbling block and all this other stuff. But guys, once again, it's not talking about clean and unclean meat. So when you read Romans 14, you should also read 1 Corinthians chapter 8 and chapter 10 because they also um, talk about this issue of the strong and the weak Christian and what you're eating and, and, and what that has to do with the perceptions and things like that. But the thing that I want to point out right now is that Paul contrasts meat and vegetables, not clean meat and unclean meat. So the weak Christian also thinks that they can't eat the chicken or they can't eat the beef it's not just like oh they think that they can't eat a pig and so they're only eating the chicken and Paul is like don't judge your brother for eating the pig because you can eat a pig clearly this is about something other than clean and unclean because uh, because then he would just be eating chicken instead of 
the pig, right? But he's only eating vegetables or she, the, 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 the wheat Christian. This verse is about food sacrificed to idols. Remember I talked about at this time, everyone sacrificed things. And so any food that you got from the marketplace, if you went to your friend's house who was not a Christian, they were serving you food that had been sacrificed to some deity. And so that is where people had different minds and different convictions about what they could or could not eat, what was acceptable, what was not acceptable. And like I said, I get more into it on the blog, but this is not about clean and unclean, okay? So then the next verse someone gave me was 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1-7. through 7, And it has kind of a similar um, thing where it's, it's talking about eating all things and things being um, re- received with thanksgiving. It talks about false doctrine where people are telling you to abstain from, from meats and forbidding people to marry. This is also a very convincing verse if you just read it on its own, if you don't research it, if you don't put it into context with the Bible. So what I want to say about this verse is number one, when the Bible says that you can eat all things or all things are to be received with thanksgiving, um, you cannot eat all things, period. Okay, you cannot eat bleach no matter what President Trump says, you should not consume bleach, okay? You can't eat poison. You should not eat paper. If you're allergic to something, you shouldn't eat it. Even though it might not be a sin to not eat it, you shouldn't eat it because it will kill you, right? We know that you can't eat everything. If I were to invite you over to my house and, and I were to let you stay here while I go out of town and I were to say, make yourself at home, you can eat anything you want. You can, you can eat and drink anything in the house that you want. You are not going to go into my you know, my cleaning cabinet and pull out the Windex and try to drink it you could, because you understand that when I tell you that you can drink or eat anything, that I mean the things that are edible, things that are food, things are that are meant for consumption. And one of the things people forget when they read the Bible is that the authors of the New Testament were Jewish. When they're telling you that you can eat something that's edible, their their definition of edible does not include unclean meat. Okay, they didn't grow up eating bacon for breakfast. They're not thinking when I tell you you can eat all things that you mean that you're going to think that you can eat a pig because that never crossed their mind. That was never food in their mind. Okay, so... That's one thing you have to keep in mind when you read these things. And what makes it even more apparent is that there's this phrase where it says, with thanksgiving, right? With thanksgiving being that God receives it with thanksgiving. But you can't give thanksgiving for unclean meat because you couldn't sacrifice it to God because it was unclean, right? So again, that's not what is being talked about. Now, what's very interesting is that this particular verse has this key phrase about false doctrine. And it doesn't just talk about abstaining from meat. It also talks about forbidding to marry. And there is an instance of this that does happen. It still happens. And it is very prominent within the Christian faith. It was instituted and is mainly held by the Catholic Church, of course. Um, So the Catholic Church forbids their priests from marrying. 
and they also command their um, adherents to abstain from meat, including um, the meat that is permissible by the Bible, the clean meats during the month of Lent, especially now in modern times, it's usually on Fridays. And of course, other traditions have also adopted Lent. And I personally believe that that is what that is talking about, these false doctrines that are man-made doctrines. Um, and we're going to talk about legalism later in the show or later in the season. But um, this concept of clean and unclean was defined by God. But things like Lent, things like, oh, you can't, you know, telling somebody when they should fast, like fasting is something that's between you and God. No one can tell you not to eat meat, right? Like there's nothing in the Bible that says you you can't eat clean meat. So when you start putting these other doctrines on people, it is a false doctrine. It's not talking about telling somebody to do what God already told them to do. And the final verse that I want to um, tackle that specifically talks about food is Colossians 2. That's not really a verse. That's a whole chapter. But I think you should read the whole chapter for context. And in this, um, it talks about um, man-made traditions. They're in here, you know, it's like, don't let anyone judge you for meats and drinks. And it's interesting because it conflates meat and drinks here. Um, but like in the Bible, the only place it really talks about what you drink is when it tells you not to be drunk. So if you take this to mean don't let anybody judge you about your you know, drunkenness, then you would also have to perceive that now it's fine to be drunk. It is not fine to be drunk. Um, and so these go back again to sacrifice. Like I've been telling you, you cannot understand the New Testament without understanding the Old Testament. Reading the Old Testament gives you understanding of one, the author's mindsets um, who wrote the, the New Testament and just the, con the context. And it gives you a, a foundation of who God is. So sacrifices were meat. And when they said meat, it didn't necessarily mean flesh. It could be um, any type of, of edible meat. Um, and then it was also drinks like wine offerings and things like that. And so they are talking again about sacrifices. And it also talks about the feast days, the Sabbaths, which were um, in accordance to the holy days. And this is what he's talking about. There were man-made traditions surrounding this. There were ceremonial laws surrounding this and they're saying don't let people judge you like you don't have to keep the feast days because christ has fulfilled it that is what those verses are talking about it has nothing to do with clean and unclean meat and while we're talking about fulfilling i do want to throw in one more verse before we conclude and that is from matthew chapter 5 verse 17 um, Jesus himself is speaking and he says, do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. When you look at Christ's sacrifice, he fulfilled the ceremonial law, right? He is our Passover lamb. There is no need to kill a Passover lamb and put the blood over the door or anything like that because Christ, we're covered in Christ's blood. He did that so that 
you know, there need not be any more sacrifice. He was the perfect sacrifice that fulfilled all of these sacrifices. The ceremonial law had all of these feast days. Um, Christ fulfilled all of these feast days. We talked about this earlier um, when I talked about the feasts. And in doing so, he nullified the need to do those things, right? Also, in, in paying that price of death, um, a lot of the punishments that God had prescribed for committing sin. So for instance, you know, breaking the Ten Commandments was basically punishable by death. You break the Sabbath, you should be killed. You kill somebody, you should be killed. You commit adultery, you should be killed. But Christ suffered that death for us. So now it's between that person and Christ. It's not for me to kill you because Christ paid that price. And if you plead the blood of Christ, you can be forgiven and he, that blood atones for what should have been there right? So it seems to us like things have changed, but really he fulfilled that law so that we don't have to do that. When you stop and look at the concept of, of the dietary law, you have to ask yourself, is there a way that Christ fulfilled it so that it's quote unquote nullified, right? And, and in that point, you're, you're essentially saying, did Christ die on the cross so that you could eat a pig? <laughs> and the short answer is, is no. God did not redesign our bodies. Um, he did not redesign the unclean meat. Um, if you start to consume something like alcohol, for instance, you will still get drunk. That's how we know that he didn't change the molecular structure of his original creation. He didn't change our molecular structure. Now, I've heard some people say that he cleansed everything. But that's not quite true. Even as a human being, Christ's sacrifice only cleanses me if I accept him. If I don't accept Christ, I'm not cleansed. So you can't say that Christ died on the cross and cleansed all of the unclean meat because even as people, we have to make the decision to be clean. You, I mean, even if we were to assume that animals have, have, the ability to choose that they also have souls and free will and that they're that they were somehow um also connected to christ's sacrifice you would still have to go up to the pig or the crab or the lobster or whatever and ask them like have you been saved because i i can only kill you and eat you if you've been saved and we can't really have that conversation so that's a complete moot point um so i wanted to go through these verses like i said I'm pretty sure if you've never heard this information before, you still have questions. And if you're used to eating unclean meat, you may have some wrestling in your heart about this and you probably don't want to accept it. A lot of people that I've met push back heavily. Um, that's also why I did the posts a long time ago to go more in depth and to, to go kind of more into like the conversational aspect of like well what about this and what about that and to kind of walk through the verses and of course those posts actually have the verse printed out in you know in the text so that you can see it and read it um, as you're reading the the commentary about it what I would suggest um, if you are truly interested in the topic and you are truly interested in um, eating in a way that glorifies God and that also is taking care of your temple um, I would suggest that you fast as you do it. Of course, like I said earlier, no one can tell you when to fast. You should do it as you so feel convicted. But um, 
when I went through this study, I had been fasting from unclean meat for a year. Um, there is a verse that talks about if you, um, it's basically like let each man know in his own heart. And it talks about how if you, I, I want to think it's in the Romans 14 section. Um, if you eat something and you're unsure, it is a sin. Um, you have to know that you can eat it in order for it to be okay for you to eat it. And so when I first came to the question of are we allowed to eat clean, um, unclean meat? Is it okay? Is it biblically accepted? I wasn't sure. And so I was like, okay, I'm not going to eat it until I am convicted or convinced in my own heart that God has said it's okay. And for me, it took a while before I could actually sit down and do the study. So there was like a year before I actually sat down and did the study. I'm not saying you should do it for a year, but at least, you know, if you're someone who consumes it heavily, you know, at least give yourself like a month or so or a couple of weeks where you have not consumed it, that you one, have proven to yourself that you don't have to have it to live. And two, that it's not clouding your judgment. Like I said, when you drink alcohol, when you eat certain things, when you consume certain things, it does have an effect on your mind. So you want to go in with a clear mind um, and not let that thing be tainting your judgment. Um, you want to go in with a free and surrendering spirit and in allowing God to make the decision for you so that you're not making the decision because you're eating bacon as you're reading it. And you're like, but this bacon is good, right? Um, and so my suggestion would be to do some sort of fast before you really jump into the topic and then let the Holy Spirit convict you. And of course, whatever the Holy Spirit convicts you of, that's what it is. Um, I share information just because it's been my journey and I've benefited from it and my relationship with God has benefited from it. But at the end of the day, the Holy Spirit has to convict you of what's right and what's wrong. Um, and as with all other things, it is not my place to, um, like I wouldn't harass somebody or, um, you know, try to strong arm people into seeing things my way. Um, I just want to give you the information, one, if you're seeking, and two, um, to open your eyes or plant the seed if you haven't thought about it before. And then, of course, it's between you and the Holy Spirit what happens next. So thank you guys for listening. As always, all this information will be on the blog, uh, com. You can follow me on Instagram, psalms underscore two underscore God. Don't forget to like, subscribe, share with your friends, all of that wonderful social media-y stuff. And I will see you guys next week. Bye.